0: Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I ask that you would stir us up this morning. Lord, I ask that your word would come with power. Lord, you, you led Paul to write that the kingdom of God is not a matter of words but of power. Lord, deliver us from empty words and empower our words and impart to us... Kingdom revelation this morning, and Lord, I ask that you to instigate tremendous movement in prayer in this house and in this region, in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, I want to I want to pick up where we've left off. I was looking; I had to look at the podcast. It was nine weeks ago this morning we launched into a new series on prayer, and then we went into a series on the um, sub series, and then we went on a sub series of the sub series of the series. So I want to kind of pull back and look at the series again. Okay, so what we were looking at is a theology of prayer it is important for us to understand how prayer works and we have to have the right theology because the fact is your theology can actually undermine your prayer life what you believe has tremendous consequences there's an old saying ideas have consequences and i would say that no ideas have greater consequences than theological ones and so wrong thinking will sabotage momentum in our lives. And so we need to understand a biblical theology of prayer. So what we started on, and we never got past the first part, I told you we're going to deal with four components or four theological categories under which we see this banner called prayer, this, this whole subject of prayer. And the first one is a, a biblical cosmology, which is just a 50-cent word for how things work. What is the system that God set up? And then we we're going to look at a biblical the- uh, a theology proper, our view of God. Your view of God will have a controlling effect on absolutely everything in your life. Everything rises and falls upon your theology, your view of who God really is. Uh, it's like the center post in the tent. It comes down, everything comes down with it. It goes up, everything else goes up with it. Your theology is the most important thing about you. A.W. Tozer put it this way. Your answer to this question, what is God like, is the most important thing about you. The church's corporate answer to that question is the most important thing about the church. And so depending upon how we see God will determine how engaged we are in prayer. And so we have to have, we have, to have a biblical theology. We need to root our Theology and Scripture. The fact is that many of us espouse theological ideas that are not rooted in Scripture. They're rooted in somebody else's theology. Often we're quoting somebody else's theology, but we're not quoting the Word of God. Richard Wormbrand, the, the guy that uh, established Martyrs' uh, uh, Voice of the Martyrs, he spent many years in a Romanian prison, and uh, but he had a saying. He said. theology is the word about the word about the word about the word. Doctrine is the word about the word about the word. And the Bible is the word about the word, but Jesus is the word. And so we need to make sure that we're getting the word about the word, the written word about the living word, Jesus. And so we need to make sure that we're we're rooting our theology in what the Bible says and not in what some famous theologian says. Now, I quote people all the time. I heard a guy say one time, he said, quoting great men allows a common man to speak with authority. It's like you're borrowing the authority of this guy that everybody trusts. And I think there's validity to that. But the fact is... The, the ultimate authority is the word of God. God will never contradict his word. And so we need to root our theology of prayer in the word of God. And so our biblical cosmology, what is the system that God set up? Then theology proper. What is God like? What is, what is this God with whom we're engaging like? You could put it this way. We have a box. On our box, this is the context of prayer. This is the system. At the top of the box, sits God. What is that God we're praying to like? The third component is our anthropology. What is man like? What is, what is the biblical model of what a man or a woman really is? God has given us certain uh, parts of our makeup that enable us to engage heaven. One of the most fearsome things God has placed within you is the human will and your will matters. That's why we're taught in Scripture to say amen. Amen means so be it. God is looking for you to put your so be it behind his will. Your amen. Because God, back to the the system God set up. God has delegated the earth to man. Psalm chapter 8 reiterated in Hebrews chapter 2. It's very clear. What is man that thou art mindful of him? The son of man that you would visit him. You made him a little lower than the angels. And what? Put everything under his feet. God delegated the earth to you. And so therefore, we've been talking about the biblical principle. We can reduce prayer, a philosophy or a theology of prayer to this short phrase, divine intervention only by human invitation. God will not violate the system he himself set up. He gave the world to us. And so while we stand down here wringing our hands saying, God, why don't you do something? God looks at us and says, why don't you do something? Invite my intervention. That's what prayer is. So we invite God's intervention. So we're at the bottom of the the square as humanoids crying out to God, Lord, would you move? God's at the top and the context is the system he created. But then there's this, in the middle of that box would be a biblical demonology or an angiology or uh, it's, it's an understanding of the spiritual realm. What is this resistance that we face? And hopefully someday we'll get there. I mean, we're nine, nine weeks in and we've only gotten to part one. So uh, hopefully, you know, around 2027, we'll probably get to that last piece. But we need to understand that God delegated the earth to us. We need to understand the nature, the character of God that we're praying to. And then we need to understand to, how to use the tools he gave us. Our mind and our will and our emotions have everything to do with prayer. God wants us to engage those three organs that he put within us. They are part of prayer. And then we need to understand the resistance that we experience. Because everything we've said up until now, it'll explain why we need to invite his intervention, but it doesn't... It, 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 it explains the event of prayer, why we have to ask. What it doesn't explain is the process. Why do we got to keep on praying? If, if God delegated it to us and we can invite him, let's invite him and go out to lunch. What's this thing about fasting and prayer and all this contention and, and crying out to God? What is, you, that doesn't make sense and we, until we add that other component of understanding that we have a very real enemy that is resisting God's will in the earth. And just as, Heavens, the expression of heaven on earth comes through the human will, so does the expression of hell on earth come through the human will. And we need to understand that. And so we'll, we'll get into this at a later date. But this morning, what I want to look at is, I really want to tie this in with what, what we're doing right now. We've been, going, we've been having prayer meetings every morning. I, I really want to encourage you to come out. The only morning that we're not having it is, well, really, we're not doing it on Saturday. Sunday, we just had one. We're, that's, that was what you call prophetic intercessory worship. Mondays, we're we're not meeting for prayer. There there is a prayer meeting at night. I'm not sure it's going right now, is it? It's not not been relaunched uh, since COVID, but uh, Tuesday uh, from seven to eight here in the sanctuary. Wednesday, six to eight, for those of you who can't make it at seven, pray for those people. And then Thursday and Friday, seven to eight here in the sanctuary. And we're praying because we feel a compulsion right now that things are crucial and God wants to engage us in this partnership called prayer. Uh, And so, man, if you can make it out, I really encourage you to do so. I have so enjoyed it. I so appreciate those of you that have been coming out. There is, I really believe that there was a fresh impartation for prayer two weeks ago. When we were in this service, there was something released to us. There's a fresh impetus, a fresh passion that God dropped on us. And so if you can make it out, uh, please, please do so. We'd love to have you. Now, uh, what I want to look at is I want to look at, I want to I tie in with what we were talking about last week. Last week we were talking about prophetic words. Uh, in, in the context of prayer, uh, we are a continuous Church, we're not a cessationist church. A cessationist church believes that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are uh, ceased with the death of the first apostles. We don't believe that. Uh, I I can defend that from Scripture. Uh, God is the same yesterday and today and forever. It's it uh, that we are a continuous church. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit, but in order for us to operate in the gifts of the spirit we need to know how to biblically navigate that those very subjective waters and so we need to know how to steward prophecy and uh you know all the gifts of the spirit but especially prophecy and prophecy uh is a crucial element to the kingdom of god Uh, We know that there's three sets of spiritual gifts or three uh, groupings of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. There's Romans 12 from the Father, 1 Corinthians 12 from the Spirit, and then Ephesians 4 from from the Son, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit each gave us a, a category of spiritual giftings. The ones from the Spirit are the ones that are the most controversial and they are the ones that show up in Pentecostal charismatic churches because we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a separate uh, experience from salvation. And with that, there's an impartation of power uh, and the the gifts of the Spirit. Those gifts, we need to learn how to steward them. Now, the fact is there's only one gift that shows up in all three categories and that is the gift of prophecy. Prophecy is so crucial to the kingdom, kingdom of God that it's the one gift that will show up in all three. And it's because prophecy enables us to reach into the future, into God's desires, and pull it into the present. I remember years ago I was standing on the front road during worship, and the Lord spoke to me very clearly. He said, He said, I he said, the enemy traffics in despair. I traffic in hope. He said, I call you into your future. The enemy always reminds you of your past. And then he told me this. I'd never thought of this until he said this. He said, in me, your future is retroactive. In other words, when we, when we see what God is saying about our future, it literally redefines even our past. The enemy wants to take your past and redefine your future. But God will take your future and redefine your past. And we look at it through redemptive lenses, and we begin to realize even, the, even our mistakes, even our failures, even our rebellion, even, even the, the, the negative things, even our woundedness, the things that were done to us, uh, the, the areas of our life where we were victimized, all of that becomes overshadowed by a redemptive history, and we realize what the devil meant for bad, God's going to use for good. Right, yeah. That is the power of prophecy. And so we need to learn to steward prophecy. And so we were talking about it last week. And I want to talk about prophetic words in regards to prayer. And, and I'm going to touch on the whole thing of theology and anthropology a little bit. But we need to learn how to steward prophetic words because prof- prophecy has tremendous potential to give us momentum in the spirit. Second Chronicles 20:20. You got to love it. 20:20 it says this. Jehoshaphat says, obey the believe in the Lord, and you will be established. Believe in his prophets, and you will have forward momentum. Now that's Dave Olson paraphrase, but you can look it up in the Hebrew, and that's literally what it says. If you believe in the Lord, you'll be established. As you meet the Lord, it begins to establish your life. As you begin to put your trust in him, it establishes your life. But there's something about the prophetic word that gives you breakthrough, gives you momentum into your future. And so we need to learn how to steward those words. We need to learn how to interact with prophetic words. Now, we talked uh, last week, we touched on this, and I've talked about this before, but it's really important right now, the season we're in, for us to understand this about prophecy. A lot of people misunderstand prophecy as though a prophetic word is an inevitability, that if, if you get a prophetic word, it's just gonna happen, And that's rooted in a a wrong understanding of prophecy, and it's also rooted in a, a wrong understanding of a biblical cosmology and how God interacts with his people. Prophetic words are not inevitable, whether a warning of something on the horizon or even a promise of something good. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he said, I want to remind you, Timothy, of the prophetic words along with the instructions that you received so that by them, them, the prophetic words and the instructions, you may war a good warfare. You see how Paul is framing prophecy as a weapon of warfare, that you can use prophetic words to fight for your future. But notice that there are built-in instructions. There are, there. he said, the, the prophecies along with the instructions. Your prophetic words come with instructions. You need to lean into the Lord and say, God, how do I partner with you to break into this future that you've revealed to me, that you want for me. Or, Lord, you've given me this warning. How do we head this off at the past? How do I cooperate with you so this doesn't happen? Now, I'm just, let me throw some scriptures out to you, some passage, some stories, and show you how this is true. Second uh, Chronicles twenty twenty, 20. Uh, Jehoshaphat had just been out to war with uh, Ahab, and he gets back in chapter 19. He gets back from battle, and he arrives, and a prophet's waiting for him, and says, "Hey, you were you partnered with wickedness?" He said, "Now the displeasure, the wrath of God is upon you. Not the kind of word you want to receive at the altar." He says the Lord is the Lord is displeased with you, buddy. As you read through the passage, all of a sudden the Ammonites and the, I want to say it was the Moabites, the Anamite, Ammonites and the Moabites and all the Bites boys, they had amassed themselves at the, at the, to the city and they were going to invade. Now, I don't know about you, But if I had just received a word, how God was ticked at me and his wrath was upon me, and all of a sudden there were enemies at the gate, I would assume that what was going out behind the gate was a manifestation of the word that I just received. But Jehoshaphat had a relationship with God that enabled him to step over that and cry out to God in prayer. Most people, you see, if you don't have the right mindset towards who God really is, and have a biblical cosmology, when you get words of warning, you fall into despair. And when you get words of blessing, you fall into apathy, as though they're both inevitabilities. And I have no role in this, and it whatever case, or whatever will be, will be. But neither one of those are true. Words of warning are an invitation into partnership to avert that negative future. And so Jehoshaphat begins to cry out to the Lord and the Lord speaks to him. A prophet comes to him and that's when he gets up and announces to him, hey, believe in the Lord, you will be established. Believe in his prophets. But it wasn't the first prophecy they were hitching their wagon to. It was the second one. The Lord is with you and I'm gonna gonna give the enemy into your hands. We see this again with Hezekiah. You remember Hezekiah? He's uh, Isaiah. No, Isaiah was the big kahuna prophet at that time. He was the man. And he comes to Hezekiah and he said, hey, buddy, king, get your house in order. It's over. You are about ready to meet your maker. You're done isaiah walks out of the room and hezekiah rolls over on bed because he'd been sick he rolls over in bed and starts crying out to god it says he weeps and he said lord remember me remember i've served you my whole life isaiah hasn't even made it out of the courtyard yet of the palace he's walking also the lord stops and said go back in and tell hezekiah i'm giving him another 15 years i've seen his tears and i've heard his prayers You see, Hezekiah didn't take that as an inevitability. It was an invitation to contend for more. And God gave it to him. You see, this thing called intercession is much more relational than you and I understand. Do you realize that God has made himself vulnerable to your desires? God has made himself vulnerable to your heart. And here's the big one. You want to talk about a frightening picture of intercession. The alt- this is the Super Bowl of intercessory pictures. Exodus 32. Moses is with the Lord on the mountain. He'd been up there for quite some time. Meanwhile, the children of Israel, they'd just left Egypt, and they're, they're down there. They start, it says they sat down to eat. They made a, a golden calf, sat down to eat, gave some jewelry to it, and then they got up to play and revelry. That's just a nice way of saying they began to really enter into some grotesque sin, and Moses is up there communing with God. I mean, he's soaking in the glory so much so that literally his skin is shining. That's, that's intense. And he's talking to God and the Lord says, okay, now, Mo, go down there. He said, I'm gonna, you're, you're, they've, they've entered into sin. He said, so leave me now so that my anger may burn. I'm going to kill the entire nation and then I'm gonna make a new nation out of you. Can you imagine You've just spent all of your equity (laughs) taking these people out of Egypt and now they get this word from the Lord. And listen to what the Lord says. He says, Moses, leave me alone. I've never had the Lord speak that to me in prayer. But it would be frightening to hear, especially considering what came after it the Lord said, leave me alone. And then he added this, so that my anger may burn. What a terrifying thing to hear. But see, Moses had a relationship with God. He not only had a biblical cosmology, he had the right view of God. He had his theology proper. His view of God was such that it was a relational exchange. And Moses didn't move. What do you do with that? God says, leave me alone, Moses, so my anger may burn. And Moses stays put because he's a friend of God. And he begins to cry out to God. He he begins to appeal to God on his character, on his reputation, on his mercy. He digs his heels in in intercession. You see, Moses, because of his relationship with God, same as Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the Lord rebukes him and says, I'm displeased with you, but that didn't shake him to the point where he succumbed to a negative future. He knew the heart of God. You see, the intercessor has to have a heart that is rooted in the goodness of God. If you are not convinced of the goodness of God that he is a good father you will not be able to contend in intercession especially in an hour like today you will succumb to despair but when we are convinced of the goodness of God like Moses Moses stayed in the pocket because Moses read between the lines and he realized God said leave me alone why so then my anger can burn and Moses thought ah You mean if I stay in your face, your anger can't burn? God was giving him a little nugget, a little mystery that what what will keep God from having to judge a nation is have those who are committed to staying in his presence, to contending. You can put it this way. The wrath of God is the result of the loneliness of God. And the loneliness of God is the result of The lack of intercessors who don't know who he is, and so they state Moses stayed in God's presence, and God relented. It's an amazing—an entire nation was saved by one man's intercession. It's an amazing thing. But see, we don't think when 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 a prophetic word, or even in that interaction with God, when God says, "Leave me alone," we're like, "Okay." when it's much more relational than we ever realized. God is looking for relationship with you. He's looking for more than just rote obedience. Yes, he wants obedience, but it's obedience rooted in relationship. And so God is looking for those who will not side with his intentions as much as his higher desires. What God really wanted to do was to preserve that nation, but he needed an intercessor. We see that in Ezekiel chapter 22. God says, I looked for an intercessor. I looked for someone to stand in the gap. I looked for someone to contend because God said, I delegated the earth to you. There's a tipping point where sin, the the bowls of sin of iniquity fill up and they overflow in judgment. But he's saying, I'm looking for someone to stand between me and the people, the porch and the altar and cry out on their behalf so I can relent. So Ezekiel 22 says he's looking for an intercessor. Isaiah 28 says that the judgment of God is his strange work, his alien work. God is saying, I'm going to have to destroy the nation, but that is my alien work. It's my strange work. Many people think, no, that's God's normal mode no it's not he is a good father and what he's looking for are those who understand him at a higher level that God is a good father God is God has mercy and he's looking for someone to stand in the gap as an intercessor and we come to him on behalf of the people and we cry out to him we leverage our friendship with God for the sake of a nation that's what a priesthood is the priests would stand between, there was this picture of, of them standing between heaven and earth. They were the go-betweens. Before God, they represented earth. Before earth, they represented God. They were, there was this, this God, uh, this role that they would function in as representatives, as priests. In the New Testament, we are a kingdom of priests, and we stand on behalf of the nation. And so we need to understand how to steward the word of the Lord. That when God gives us a promise of a bright and shining future, it's going to take cooperation on your part. I can't tell you the people I've known that have gotten prophetic words that never see them realized. And I'm, I mean, I've seen people that receive the same word again and again and again, promises of God. They, they're hit with the power of God. It is so clearly, it's like again and again, they receive that word. They'll go to different churches, different places, different men and women of God. will speak the same word over them. And 30 years later, they're still getting the same word, but none of it is getting any traction. Why? Because they are looking at it as an inevitability that they don't have a role to play. And that is simply not the way that God created things. There is a partnership in this thing. God is looking for a partnership with us. We talked sometime in the last sometime in the last number of weeks we talked about how does God rule? And we're talking about how if you go into, especially in the Old Testament, you see it some in the book of Revelation as well, this, this model begins to emerge in these obscure passages, whether it's Job chapter one, where he called the sons of God before him. Daniel saw the, the multiple thrones and the most high on the, on the large throne. Uh, there's these, uh, in uh, I want to say it's second Kings where Micaiah has that word about Ahab being killed. I want to say it's uh, or Second Chronicles, I want to say it's like chapter eighteen. Uh, there's that word where Micaiah he said, "I saw the Lord seated, and these different spirits come before Him." And the Lord says, "How are we going to take Ahab out?" What is that? It's what theologians refer to as the divine council. We also see that literally spoken of as the divine council. I want to say it's in Psalm eighty-six that God has this; He delegates authority and asks for input from these heavenly beings. If there's anybody that doesn't need counsel, it's the most high. But yet God is humble and so secure in his own identity. He's pretty secure in who he is. God, God asks for their input. And he says, yeah, that's what we're going to do. There's this divine counsel. Uh, Job talks about charging the angels with failure. That the angels are not these perfect beings who always do everything right. Who knew that touched by an angel had it right? That Monica could make mistakes and that was scriptural. So here's the point. The governing model of heaven is by... These layers of authority, these intermediaries, whether they're angelic or higher beings, they're imperfect. God delegates authority and he rules through them just like any king does. And then he teaches you and I to pray on earth as it is in heaven. How does God rule on earth? Through his earthly family. You see, God has a heavenly family, Job chapter 1. He has the sons of God, these spirits that come before him. And on earth, he has another family he's inviting us into to be part of his council. And God really does care what you want, he really does care what you pray for. How does God rule the earth? Through man. Prayer is the governing mechanism by which God governs affairs. He delegated the earth to you. And he's encouraging you, invite my influence. Learn to have a life of prayer. Learn to govern with me. Learn to move with me and hear my heart and pray it back to me. And we will govern together. I had someone share with me. I think I shared this a couple weeks ago, but someone was sharing with me they are going through a situation and they're crying out to God and very heavy on their heart. And the Lord spoke to them. And I know this person. This person has a, a profound walk with the Lord and a hearing ear. And they said, the Lord told them, the devil doesn't get the final word, we do. Yeah. And what stood out to them, and it stood out to me immediately when he said it, was not that I get the final word, it's we get the final word. Yes. See, there's this co laboring, this collaboration between the church and heaven. I'm telling you, God has given you awesome authority and he has made himself vulnerable to your desires he is looking for you to engage him this is a biblical theology of prayer and this thing that says well everything that happens is god's will god's in control god is so secure in his sovereignty that he's willing to delegate a portion of it to you and i God is not controlling all events. There's a whole lot of things that happen that are not God's will and that's why we need to pray. The very definition, one of the primary words translated sin in the New Testament means to miss the mark. It's doing something contrary to God's will. God doesn't will something contrary to his will. If there's sin in the world, then there's things that are happening that are not God's will. Scripture says God is not willing that any should perish, but some do. God doesn't always get his will. Why? Because he has delegated some of it to us and he's saying, engage me. And this needs to awaken our hearts and inflame our hearts with the necessity of prayer. God wants to release his will on the earth through you and I, through prayers and kingdom activity. But if our theology is that, oh well, everything that happened, God's, gonna, God's in control. God willed it. All this that's happening, God, God's wise. He, he's doing these things what it does is it creates apathy. And those that have that type of theology will never become an intercessor. They may have an intimacy with God, a personal intimacy, but they're not gonna be used to engage heaven in intercessory prayer because there's gonna be a disconnect. They cannot inflame their own heart. They can't engage their own heart because their theology stands in the way. So we've gotta see this biblical theology of prayers God has given us tremendous authority. And he gave it to us in the form of a human will. Your will is the organ of God's authority. God delegated the earth to you. And you're to use your will to do his will. We are to will the will of God. And we're to use that will to press it on human affairs. We're to engage our will in prayer. We're to begin to cry out for God's will, God's kingdom to come, his will to be done. We don't just take for granted that it is done. We ask for it to be done. James adds this. James says, the effectual, what? Fervent "Fervent prayer availeth much. The effectual, it, it works, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You could translate that verse like this. When righteous men and women, when men and women who are living righteous before God pray with great passion, the power of God is released. Put, let me say it again. When men and women of God are living righteously, your lifestyle has everything to do with your prayer life. These are not separate things. This is not a matter of works. It's important that you're living righteous when you're crying out for God's kingdom to come. Why? Because you can cancel out with your behavior what you pray with your mouth. If you're living contrary to your own prayers, your actions will speak louder than your words. So when we cry out to God, it's, it's important that we're living as righteous men and women of God. I'm not talking about perfection, but I'm talking about laying, being humble before God. And when God deals with us about things, we keep short accounts. We apologize. We, we do what we need to do. We make things right. And we're walking in the light that we have. We're all, there's always room for growth, but it's important that we live righteously. It says of Jesus, in Hebrews chapter 5, with loud cries and petitions, he made his requests known unto God. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. What the author is saying is that Jesus' lifestyle of being yielded to the, 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 the will of God, his reverent submission gave fuel to his prayer. It gave authority to his prayer. It was the very thing that caused God to hear his prayer. Conversely, the Old Testament says this when they prayed, I would not hear them, because when I spoke, they would not listen. What he's saying is prayer is a mutual exchange of requests. If you are asking God for things, but you are refusing heaven when he asks you for things, then you have canceled out your prayers by your own stubbornness. So that's why prayer is often a process. And this this brings us into this thing. Why is there a contention? Why do we got to pray and keep on praying? Why do we cry out for revival if God really has delegated the earth to us? And prayer, the principle of prayer is divine intervention by human invitation. Come, Lord, let's do this thing then why doesn't it just work like that? Why is it not an event? Why is it a process? Because part of the process of prayer is God is using the hunger, the burden that he's laid on my heart to pull me through a process that he's changing me. He's making me into the person that's qualified to steward the answer to the thing I'm praying for. And so many of us, we won't stay in the pocket. We won't allow this process to change us. It's why the first wave of intercession, when God begins a new, fresh emphasis of prayer, often what happens is in our personal lives, all hell breaks loose. You ever notice that? And the enemy is going to try to use the all hell breaking loose to distract you and get you out of the pocket of prayer. But God is trying to use the very thing that the enemy is using as a distraction to use as a purifying fire because what he's wanting to do is align you more with his will. Yeah. And every time God pulls you into a season of prayer, it's a, it's a time of tremendous growth where God is doing a work on the inside. And he's doing, he's shifting things on the inside so that in a greater way, you're aligned with his will. That you're, you're not just praying prayers, you become a prayer. Yeah. Your life is aligned with him. Your life is an expression. I've been asking God, God, would you grace us for an intercession? I've had those seasons in my life where I just, I'd wake up in the middle of the night speaking in tongues and just there's this longing to be with him, this longing to just get closer to him. It's like his desire has overtaken me. I'm like a man on the beach and the the wave came in and it just pulled me out and I'm powerless over it. I long for those times. I long for my hunger for the things of God to overwhelm every other hunger because that's when change really happens. And when God does that, when he finds a people that will yield themselves, he's building a weaponry The yielded life, a will that he can use to begin to impose his will on the earth. I don't know if you've ever had to pray for someone who's demonized. But I'm telling you, there's been times in my life where it wasn't a problem. And there have been times in my life where I was not living with an edge in my life. I was living an apathetic life. And when I had to confront a demon, I remember a young man sitting across from my desk and he sat down, he looked at me, he said, I'm demonized. He said, I've got demons and I need delivered. And I just kind of looked at him and he said, and if you're not man enough of God to deal with it, I'll go find someone who is. I was shocked. And to my great shame, I wasn't living in a place. I wasn't living in sin in the sense of doing things I shouldn't. Mine were more sins of omission. I was living an apathetic life. I never want to feel that feeling again. But I know when I'm walking locked and loaded with his will, I don't have to fear anything. I can deal with the demonic. And that's true in an individual's life. And that's true in the corporate life of the church and over our region. God is looking for those who engage their will your will matters have you decided that god's will must be done years ago when we when i first became the pastor here it was uh, i think 2002 about 2003 god began to just deal with us take us deeper in prayer and there was just this groan of intercession that began to grip Many of us, and we'd have all these prayer meetings. It was just this groan. And I remember picking up during that time a book on vision, and he, he, there was this little line in there, and the Lord lifted it out of there and applied it to my life for intercession. It was by a young man, Andy Stanley. Many of you know him. He said, "He said, what could be is an idea. What must be is a dream, or what what could be is an idea. What should be is a dream. What must be is a vision." And the Lord told me, he said, I'm trying to get you from what could be to what should be to must be praying. When God can get us to that point where it must be, there's something in us that says, God, I am willing to exchange my life for this thing. I've got to see you move in my generation. When he secures a group of people like that, that's when things begin to shift. And God is inviting us in as a church To be overwhelmed, to be captured by his desire, his will. You and I will give an answer for this present moment in history, for this present location in which we live. We are the stewards of this moment in history. God hath chosen the times and the places, the generation and the location in which men should live. And our calling is connected to those two things. And there needs to be something that rises up with us and says, not on my watch, that we're going to pray the will of God. God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants to do it in us. We need to understand the powerful thing God has given us in the form of the human will. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That fervency speaks to your passion in prayer. Jeremiah said that you will seek me and you will find me when you seek for me with your whole heart. Half-hearted attempts at God get you nowhere. God is looking for wholeheartedness. And he builds that in that process of prayer where he he begins to grip our heart and move us along in that process so that we become the first fruits of change. We're praying for things out here and he's changing things in here. And we become the token, we become the beachhead of God's initial invasion. We are the first fruits of the change we're praying for. And when God can secure that, but it means that there has to be fervent prayer, passionate prayer, Your passion registered with heaven. I'm not talking about just whipping something up, whipping up empty emotion. I'm talking about you being gripped to the point where our heart is broken and we're crying out in passionate prayer. That will move things in the spirit. I'm gonna ask you to stand. I just want us to Stand before the Lord for a moment. If you will, just put your hands up before the Lord. If you are presently struggling with apathy, if you're struggling in your life right now, there, you may be in a season where there is tremendous distraction. Often the distractions, the key, things that keep us from prayer, are more blessings than hardship. Hardship will often drive us to God. Blessings will distract us from him. If you're, being dis- if you're just feeling distracted and apathetic, I want you just to begin to ask God to visit your heart. If you want God to use you in prayer, if you want your life to burn for him, if you don't want to just kind of float through life, enjoying the blessings, but you want God to use your life, just begin to ask him to ignite your heart. Oh, Lord. Father, we thank you for the blessings you've given us. But Lord, we're asking, rescue us from them, Lord. Let them not become barriers to you. Lord, your word says that the cares of this life, the pleasures of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches can actually choke out the word of the Lord in our life. God, we ask pour fuel on the fire we want to burn for you jesus we want to burn for you lord again i'm asking god that you would put fire on the altar of intercession in this house lord god use us lord i agree with the words you've spoken to us over the years lord Lord, I agree with the governmental calling you've extended to us, Lord. We say yes. Now, Lord, we climb on the altar. Send the fire. <laughs>
1: If you will look out old your front door, you can see down the road and you can hear the road aqu- a base is being built, base is being levers. The hot-top equipment are coming. I don't want another town or another church to bid for the contract. I could turn away. I want to come to your door. Oh, God. I'm building a base to come to your door. There will not be a dead end, yeah. for when they roll in, it is a two-lane hot talk roadway to your front door. It will not be a dead end. Two lane road. Plenty of room. Plenty of room for military equipment, heavy equipment, transports, and trucks and cars of every type will come to your door and do, they will enter into a different dimension. And they will find me and they will see me. And there will be things they've never known before. And they will step into my presence. But don't let them go. Don't let them take another contract. Don't let another city or church bid for the contract and me mm. turn away from me because oh, they God. hurt by their mm. hunger. Mm. Turn away. Mm. You seek me with your face mm. and pull me in. Mm. Let the equipment mm. and the materials come mm. to your door, says the Lord.
0: Yes, yes. Oh God, God. Lord. Father, you have to look no further, Lord. God, we're asking God, use us, Lord. Lord, we lay our lives down, God. We offer ourselves to you, God, for the calling, Lord, that you've assigned to us, Oh, I'm telling you, there's an invitation from the Lord this morning, but you need to engage your heart, and you need to say yes. You need to engage your heart and say Yes.
1: god lord
0: yes lord yes lord oh god father we ask god lord send the fire lord god we say yes to your call lord we say yes lord god you need look no further lord You need look no further. I remember Reinhard Bonnke, the Lord spoke to him about a project he had for him. And the Lord told him, I've asked six others to do it. You you were not my first choice. And Reinhard Bonnke cried out to God and he said, God, look no further. I will do what you've called me to do at great expense. I don't want to stand before God and find out somebody else carried out my job. I'm not going to stand before God and find out that somebody else stepped in and did what I was supposed to do. I'm telling you, there's some of you, you need to engage your heart this morning. The Lord's giving you an opportunity to engage if there's been a resistance or there's been an apathy in your heart, I'm calling you to the altar this morning. If you know, man, I've been in park. I've been in, I've been in this neutral zone and I need to get things right. I need, to, I need to engage. I'm not talking about you living in sin. Maybe you are, but I'm talking about you're not engaged in what God has for you. There's been this apathy and God's wanting to waken you up this morning. If that's you, I'm inviting you to come forward right now just come as a, an act of, of repentance. God, I'm stepping out and I'm gonna stand before you. Hallelujah. Oh, God. Oh, God. Lord, I just bless these, Lord. God, I thank you for their humility, Lord. Father, just touch him this morning, Lord. More, God, more, touch him, Father. Kili under the basichikle ke to 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 under the basichikle. No shisa klat under the Gore men under the basichikle ka ta 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 underi Lo shet ke asunti under the ka ta 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 I want to encourage you, just begin to cry out to the Lord. You just need to yield your heart to him. God wants to do a work in you this morning. Just let the Lord deal with you. I'm going to go ahead and we're going to dismiss those of you that need to get your children. If you you need to leave, you feel free. But if you're down here, I want you to just do some business with God. Father, we ask God, Lord, that you would... God, deal with our hearts, Lord. Take us deeper. Take us deeper, Lord. If some of the elders feel like they want to lay hands on people, you just feel free to do that. Just, oh God. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word, Lord. Lord, those that need to leave, Lord, I just pray you bless them in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God bless you. Paul said... He he was not going to let anyone steal his crown. That crown was given to those who fulfilled the mandate for their life. Don't let someone else steal your crown. Don't let someone else wear the crown God intended for you. Just yield yourself to him, whatever he has for your life. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.